0: Hi everyone, welcome back to Stay Positive. It's me, Sierra. I'm very happy to be back here with you guys. Um, It's been a tough times, so I'm doing a little special episode, which only comes around, ooh, in the most difficult of times, you know? That's what I'm learning, I guess. I had one special episode that was a solo episode, right? Normally I interview a guest for Stay Positive. Um, but last year, of course, around the time when... George Floyd was murdered, and there was a big surge in awareness of Black Lives Matter and what that meant to people and what that meant for us. I think it felt right to talk about it in a, you know, podcast forum because this is kind of the best way, I think, to speak in the long form about tough things that maybe don't come out so well if you're just doing a short little one. So, so we're back because, um well, it's a tough time in many ways. We're over the year mark for I think when people started going into quarantine in the U.S. So, for me, I think I don't know when my first day was, but I know my last in-person stay positive was with Joe Wong, comedian Joe Wong, hilarious man. Uh, he came over and he was like one of the last people that I saw that was not within my household. Um, And we talked about the fact that, you know, he obviously has lived in China and now lives here, very close to where I live in LA. But he is, you know, he was very aware of like, oh yeah, uh, coronavirus is a thing, everybody. I think in the US people were like, yeah, we'll be fine. What is this? You know, at that time, right? But anybody who knew anyone who lived um, in China or really in Asia, was very aware that this was a serious thing that was about to hit us. And at the time he was like, oh yeah, we'll probably be quarantined for like three months uh, because that's how long it took China or Wuhan to get out of it. And then, yeah, really, <laughs> here we are about a year and a month later uh, with, you know, maybe better sign of people getting vaccinated. Maybe we'll be out soon, but um Yeah. But on top of that, too, when Joe Wong came by, we were talking about already there was anti-Asian sentiment um, because everybody associated corona with Chinese and China. And us being Chinese-American, we were obviously feeling that a lot, whether that was somebody staring at you weird on the street, people... You hearing from friends that they were getting slurs thrown at them or hearing that people were getting beat up. And this was all happening a year ago and it's still happening, right? As we know, it 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 continued to happen. It maybe got worse or maybe people's awareness has just gone up, which is more likely. Um, so I wanted to speak on that. I know a lot of people are using the hashtag Stop Asian Hate. So that's sort of what I might refer to as Asian Hate, but... Yeah, so it's been really, it's been really tough. I think for me in particular, I feel very lucky that I have a support system ready to go. I have my family, I have a lot of friends, many of whom are Asian American, who I was able to talk to directly about this. And I think when it really became painful, the most in-your-face painful was when the shooting happened in Atlanta, um, Georgia, where the man. Uh, shot up that several Asian-owned spas, clearly Asian spas, um, and killed eight people. And six of those people were Asian women. And, you know, and it wasn't labeled as a hate crime because he didn't seem to think it was a hate crime, which why, you know, since when do we, since when do we make a judgment? And get that like legally, maybe that's what they have to say and that's the police shit and Who trusts the police anyway? Like, we learned that already, right, last year. So I think it was just an added layer of reminding us that we have to be strong in ourselves. We have to be, um, you know, if we believe that it's racism, which we are going to be the best judges of that no matter who you are, if you are feeling there's racism against you, right, Um, or sexism or homophobia, You're going to be the best judge of that because you're very familiar with that. Whether or not some random third party says, I don't know if that person had that intention or I don't know if that you heard it. It's you're being sensitive. It's like, okay, that's irrelevant. Like, we're not taking that into account here in this oddly scientific experiment that you've now decided to start, you know. So I do uh, I do think that was the main thing that got me most Involved, most emotionally involved. So, my point being here, I could go along in detail, you know, what we're going through, which I think is important to recap and to be here in solidarity with all of you, especially those of you who I'm sure uh, many of you listeners out there are Asian American because that's what I am. And maybe that's why you like the podcast, but I'm sure there are a lot of non Asian Americans listening to this podcast, in which case, thank you. Please stick around. It's still relevant. I would detail all that stuff and how we felt when we heard about this news, but I also might not because I don't know if that's necessarily what I can add to the conversation. But I wanted to add some other perspective to the conversation coming from like a healing perspective of being like, you know, okay, we know the damage has been done and eight people were murdered and ripped from their families and their families are grieving and you know, and do what you can to donate to those families because they shouldn't have to worry about one additional thing on top of the fact that they lost their loved one, you know. Um, But my perspective on a lot of this is like trying to use what, you know, what used to maybe make me feel separate from the Asian American community to give a perspective on another Asian American perspective on all of this. And I've been talking a lot with my family about how my generation, me and my sister, a lot of my cousins are fourth generation. I'm also two different types of Asian. I'm Chinese American. I'm Japanese American. And these are things that I always felt separated me from the rest of the Asian American community. Not in like, not in a good way, literally in just like an isolated way. I guess I felt a little bit different. I felt, um, You know, I had a lot of privilege from not having my immigration status be questioned or not having, you know, uh, having, you know, having parents who had spoke the language and gotten jobs and had financial security and grandparents even who spoke the language and had jobs and, and, you know, were able to kind of, for all intents and purposes assimilate because that was survival at the time and pass that down to their kids and their grandkids. And my great grandparents were the immigrants. And um, I think the the year that they came over like was in the 1800s and maybe early 1900s. So we've been an Asian American family for four generations. Um, And I think that's made me feel like, un- a little unrelatable to a lot of other Asian Americans because I can't really speak to the immigration struggle and I can't speak to the being a child of immigrant struggle that a lot of my friends um, share. And and so I acknowledge that privilege a lot. And sometimes that makes me feel like, oh, please don't come to me when you're asking about Asian American issues because I, of all people, probably cannot speak on that accurately and may re- misrepresent and make it seem like it's a lot easier than it is because I have all this privilege. But the one thing that I've learned from being in this position of being a multi-generational Asian American of two different, you know, kinds of Asian American um, categories, I don't know what's the right term, right, Um, is that you just don't need to prove that you're American. You know, I think that's been one reaction that a lot of folks have whenever this sort of xenophobia, racism stuff rears its head. Oh, you know, maybe just speak english a little louder with no accent or you know if we can just get that job that really proves that we're here for the country or if we can just fly that flag outside of our house that's a big one i mean i know when 9 11 happened and everybody decided that the enemy of the day was gonna be and of the day i mean decades was gonna be anyone who looked remotely muslim to them anyone who looked remotely brown like it was out of control right and it still is across the world and i think the same thing we could look at world war ii and and vietnam too as well the vietnam war like people had the same reaction um and my family in particular i guess you know talking about myself here but it's sometimes my entry point my family um i grew up Learning about the fact that my dad's parents, my grandparents, and their, and then my dad's grandparents, my great-grandparents on my Japanese-American side were incarcerated during World War II. They were part of the about 100,000 Japanese-Americans, many of whom were American citizens born in the U.S., you name it. They just happened to be descended from Japanese ancestry because we were at war with Japan. Uh, they were put in camps in the desert in... The West Coast. And, you know, I think that was like a really stark thing that I hope people realize because, A, it's not really taught in schools. It was actually taught in my school, which I'm really happy about, but it was one day out of all of my schooling. So it was in eighth grade, I remember. Eighth grade? No, it was seventh grade. We had one day dedicated to it, which was nice. Like some, like the volleyball coach or some random man came in and taught it. Nice white man. That's great. You're teaching this. I don't know what his connection was to it. Um, And we learned about it. And it was, um, you know, never spoken of again. But that's better than a lot of schools that don't teach it. This is a stain on American history, like many things. And like many stains, it is not taught because we're shameful about it or whatever. Um, beyond that, too, Japanese Americans don't really talk about it themselves because it's a very dark time in their history, and my grandparents probably didn't want to revisit that. Not that I I didn't know my uh, grandmother, but my grandfather, I guess, I, it wasn't a topic I was going to bring up with him. Um, and recently, I've been working with the nonprofit Go for Broke National Education Center, which is a really check them out. So they're all about that during World War II. A lot of Japanese Americans actually served in the U.S. military and the U.S. side, of course, because they were American, and fought in the war to prove that, hello, you know, I will still fight for my country, even when my own country is mistreating and taking the homes from and putting my own family and horse stalls to sleep for the night and taking their stuff and taking their, you know, all that horrible stuff. But they still fought For their country, and apparently my grandfather did this. He was in the intelligence, um, the MIS, which I didn't actually know until very recently. You know, because we didn't talk about that either. I guess so. So what I learned from them often is like, man, it's uh, not that much has changed in a weird way. I guess now it's China that's the enemy, and and the Chinese, and I'm also Chinese, so you know lucky me, but it's, um, but regardless, I mean, racist people aren't going to take time to understand the difference between Chinese and Japanese and Korean and, and they didn't. That's why a lot of people who are being attacked are not Chinese. Like, not that the, not that anybody deserves it, but it's, it's oftentimes, I, I mean, we saw the Filipino woman who was stomped and then we saw you know a lot of the women who were shot in Atlanta were Korean American and I think it's it's interesting because I remember being told by my grandmother my Chinese grandmother that she had to wear a pin that said I am Chinese during World War II just to, to, to like distinguish her from Japanese so that they wouldn't put her in camps or discriminate against her and And then the other day I saw on Facebook, somebody jokingly shared like, maybe I should wear a t-shirt that says I am Korean just so that they don't think I'm Chinese now. And it's just too similar to not ignore that 70 years later, 80 years later, it's, it's very, very eerily the same. So I just say all that shit to encourage everybody. That if you're feeling like you're not um, you're, you're not being seen as American and maybe if you just do that one extra thing, you dress a certain way, you dye your hair. I don't know what, what sort of things people want to do. It's just not your job. You know, I know that we want to protect ourselves and I say, yes, safety, please be safe. But the generations before us did that work. They tried that experiment and we thank them for that because they really – they really – went through a lot worse. Um, but it didn't necessarily work for them. And I think we have to learn that history so that we know, well, so you mean to tell me if I, you know, try to be as American as possible and I wear my most American, oh, excuse me. I wear my most American looking clothing that they're still going to put my family away or they're still going to beat me up. And one breakthrough I had when I was working with this nonprofit too is we I got to meet with this really awesome fashion designer named Alec Nakashima and he's the founder of Akashikama which is this cool fashion brand and they make really like stylish clothing that's sort of a combination of Japanese styles and with American influence as well. And I'm wearing it right now. But You know, it's interesting because I realize everything I do in my life sometimes, growing up, say. Oh, and I also want to plug that I was on the Asian Boss Girl podcast. (laughs) Humble brag. And I talked about being multi-generational with my friend Taylor Chan of Wong Fu fame. We talk a lot about what it means to be multi-generational as Asian Americans and, and how that felt. And I think yeah that's a really good summary of it if you want to do a little supplement but what i what I want to say is I think growing up man in when i when I was thinking back to that time in my life in elementary school and high school, and granted, I went to a school that had plenty of Asian Americans. It was pretty great in that sense. I think it was like maybe thirty percent, which is really high um, that being said, though it was a larger minority. There was still a a underlying thing that I think I never really kicked, which was the white kids were still considered to be better. What does that mean? Popular, more po- only only popular white kids. Maybe they'd let one Asian into their ring one every so every few years, but you know, popular white kids, white kids only dating white kids everything felt kind of segregated in like a weird way, even though it wasn't. Um, There's a lot of like being good at school was a Asian thing. So anytime a white kid was good at school, which plenty of them were, I don't, you know, "They're, they're, you guys are great. Okay. Um, they would be kind of, I just felt like the teachers would be just that, so much thrilled, more thrilled just because it's like, oh, finally not these Asian kids again getting the better scores, you know. And there was sort of a dehumanization of like, oh, well, you're good at math because you're Asian and like you're, you're getting into college because you're Asian or like you're doing better because you're Asian and that's just like some advantage that we have, which is weird. Because I don't, I didn't think so. But I kind of, I mean, maybe it did make me better at math because I, everybody was telling me that I must be good. So, and I was good at math. Okay. And I and I was good at computers. No, but I think, I think it was definitely something where it was like, now that we're kind of coming to terms with Asian American specificity and how that affects your life and how that affects the way other people address you and treat you, I can't help but think about that. I can't help but think about how I also felt, you know, like distancing myself from my Asian-ness was a good thing, right? And I'm sure that many of my, if you ask friends of mine who I do not talk to anymore, I have like two friends from high school, um, they would probably be like, oh yeah, Sierra, she was like super trying to be like, oh, I'm fourth generation. I'm not like you guys, which is horrible. I didn't mean to try to be that way, but you know, there was certainly an element of like, well, I don't really know how to, you know, I don't want people telling me that I have an accent when there's literally no way that I have an accent. Because I, I haven't spoken a different language in three generations. <laughs> like, what is happening? Right? Okay. It's fine. Yes, and then of course I always had you know people be like, is it hard to see because your eyes are so small? I'd be like, what? I think I told my mom, and she was like, well, why don't you tell her like, is it easier for her to breathe because her nose is so big? But that's the other thing. We also have flat noses. I have a flat nose, and you know whatever. I'm I never really had this problem, but my mom would tell me that when she was a kid, she used to try to flatten her nose, or not flatten, but like spike up her nose every day or whatever, do the nose thing where you like try to make it pointer because you're trying to conform to Western beauty standards, which is like totally a thing that a lot of Asians do. Um, and it's just, you know, it's just another thing to deal with that we don't realize. And then we're like, oh yeah, I guess we were all subscribing to this thing because we were told that we were ugly. And like people always, ugh, I mean, don't get me started on fetishization, but people are constantly being like oh well asian women are considered beautiful so like you must be so happy and you're so blah 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 and it's like no we were told we were ugly our whole lives you can't suddenly flip the switch and be like oh great now we're fetishized yeah sign me up buddy like it's um it just doesn't compute that way okay and i know computers so yeah i mean i could ramble on about all the racist stuff that does happen But one final thing I did want to comment on is that I'm really uncomfortable talking about this kind of stuff, especially with people who are white. (laughs) I have some white friends, Um, I do, and it's really hard to talk to them about it because I'm so used to trying to keep things not awkward. I'm socially awkward by default, so the idea of introducing something that makes things worse is like very um, sadistic to me. I, it's part of the reason I got into comedy. I wanted to be able to have quippy remarks that kind of broke the tension to be able to breach tough topics, but in a funny way. So nobody's feelings are hurt. And though it's obvious that like I can speak about this with other friends who experience the same thing. Um, friends of color, probably more easily with other friends who are on different, you know, who feel marginalized in other ways. It's hard. It's hard to talk to my white friends about it because I just it's just not in my training I was not trained for this and I feel badly about that and I feel a certain sense of guilt of like it is my duty to educate the white friends in my life but honestly I just feel like I fall short and I don't think that is on me but I also think that um you know I, I just wanted to talk about that like why is that so hard because I think that could help Like, if I were able to bring it up, if somebody, if a white friend is like, how are you? And then I were to be like, you know what? Man, I just watched that video where that woman was was beat up and I just feel really, like, scared for my parents and for myself and for my family, my friends. And without them being like, oh, I can't breathe, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's gonna happen, like... And I, I did do like uh, my favorite way to bring this stuff up is through comedy, of course. So I did do like a stand-up show, and I brought it up. And I just feel like I sucked the air out of the room, which I'm used to doing. So that was okay. But in a one-on-one conversation, it's much harder. I'm also not used to being like, oh, this is what's going bad going on in my life. That's bad. Like normally, I'm the type to be like, oh, what's happened to me? Actually, things are great. And then I'm like sobbing after I get off the Zoom. But you know in this scenario where something is kind of everybody's problem you know it's not just asian american problem it is a um it's like a, it's a country-wide thing like if people are being shitty out there they will be shitty to you too even if you're not a person of color like it's gonna affect your life and you're gonna miss out on stuff if you're keeping people down because of some arbitrary thing like because they have, and you want to keep them marginalized. You're not playing the game fairly. Like if you're worried about the fact that, like, oh well, you know, I mean, I know I was listening to some podcasts where they talked about the fact that, like, the one of the first, say, black NBA basketball players was is is like still he's like in his sixties or something. He's you know, it's like not that long ago when this happened, and before that, there were just only white people playing basketball, <laughs> which you can imagine. Um, that's not the best players who are, who who can play at the time. That's just, you know, there are good ones, I suppose, right? But, um, you know, and we see them and they're now in the NBA who are white or European or whatever, but, um, you know, we, we know that that's, that wouldn't be an accurate representation of who the best players are. So apply that to anything, you know, you think that right now, oh, well, you know, white people are just better at being corporate lawyers, white men or straight white men, just the best corporate lawyers out there. Potentially not true, right? You never know who you're going to find. And I think that boosting somebody up because of diversity is not a charity case. It is literally helping you. And it's making just things actually work in a way that isn't uh, falsely suppressing people. Because I just, I don't know. I feel like I get the same thing I feel like I get a little bit of this when people be like, oh, Sierra, you got that because of you're an Asian woman, like it's some sort of diversity charity case, My Achievements. But then the minute something is tough on Asians, I don't hear from them, right? Oh, so you think that it only works in our favor or it only works when it doesn't help you. Seems a little fishy. So I'm an angry bitch, but... Lastly, I've been hearing a lot lately about being proud to be Asian American, and I don't think I ever have been. And that's really sad. So I felt very separate from actually being Asian American because I was so... I had come from a family that had really tried to assimilate. And then you look at the history and you go, well, yeah, they tried to assimilate. And, you know, that assimilation was the name of the game. And I think now, I mean, you don't know how many white people come up to me and are like, you don't speak though? Oh, do you speak either language? No? It's like, yeah, I, yeah, I don't. Sorry to disappoint you, but this is what was done to me. (laughs) This is part of the history of our country to try to squeeze it out of you and you to squeeze it out of yourself. That decision was made long before I came up. Long before this little Chinese-Japanese Frankenstein beast came into the world. So now it's my job to be proud because look, if I'm not proud, who's gonna be? You know? I'm very proud. That's why I'm wearing this. It's like the first thing that I have in my closet. I realize I don't have that much stuff in my closet that actually makes me look Asian because I was always like, well, redundant much? I'm Asian. So I don't wanna be like, I'm Asian, <laughs> but now I am. This is Akashikama, shout out to Alec Nakashima. It's very cool. So it's distinctly Japanese American style. You can't find it anywhere else. And then this is Asian American Girl Club, which is just, I mean, it's a dream. I wanna be a part of a club so specific. Asian American Girl Club? I'm an Asian American girl. I won't be in the club. <laughs> so don't worry. If you can't be proud because of safety reasons or because you're not feeling it or you're not comfortable and you're not very comfy being proud, that's okay. I will be proud for you. And then, you know, join when you're ready. So that's it. I mean, I'm very happy that I got to talk with you all again and do this. And I, to tell you the truth, I've just been very emotionally exhausted from all this and it's been keeping me up at night uh thinking of what I would say in a podcast if I did and glad I could finally get it out there and we'll see you know this is just how I feel and obviously I can't represent everybody's feelings or thoughts on this but I'm really glad that um you know I hope we can connect and just be careful out there, you know. You gotta look out. You gotta be safe. If you can't stay in your own home and cower in a corner like I do on a daily basis. I am proud, though. I'm proud for you. Um If you can't do that, uh then just, you know, be alert. I would say being a woman also helps. Uh Sorry. Being a woman also helps just the idea that you're just constantly alert on the street because... I feel like plenty of the same skills that I learned. You gotta, you know, you gotta have your pepper spray and you gotta get your thing and you gotta like not, don't wear headphones because you may not know who's gonna come up on you across the street. Oh God, you know. So all those sort of skills that I've built up over the years from being chased on foot when uh, people are trying to kill me, which has happened. We love it. I do hearken back to my good old times of when I was caught in high heel boots and some men were trying to, who were running after me saying they're gonna kill me. Um... You know, I fucking beat that shit. I did not. I, I didn't die. I ran away and I lived. So that's, yeah, it's traumatic. And I just shared that. But, um, yeah, just use those same skills. Um, don't wear high heel boots. <laughs> they slow you down. Also, yeah, make sure you... You know, look out for your elders. The elders are getting punched. My aunt, her friend apparently, somebody took a swing at her when she was getting off the BART in San Francisco, so be careful. And that's definitely like a a woman who's probably in her 70s, I'm guessing, or 60s. So I don't get it. Okay, that's why I got to protect my old parents. And my mom has told me, she has said, Sierra, on your podcast, you called us old and I don't appreciate that. But I'm doing it again because they're old, especially rel- they're, relative to me. They were always on the older side for parents. When I had parents, when I had parents, when I was growing up and parents were, you know, divulging their age, it was like, oh yeah, my parents are like a little bit older relative to me. But yeah, I just, you know, luckily they're able to also stay home as much as possible. And it's a shame because they just got vaccinated so they could, you know, live their lives and be awesome and go to Vegas or whatever people do. But no, not going to happen because they're Asian. So yeah, we just got to look out for ourselves. There's plenty to do inside. And, um, intervene if you are out and about and you see anything happening I hear that's a good idea would I ever intervene I I wonder that because I am so scared all the time and I'm just a tiny person I would get angry like I actually have so many fantasies in my head of like what would I do if somebody said something racist to me on the street like I'd get angry I think I would you know I like to think that I would fight them (laughs) but I would die because I just there's nothing that these flimsy arms can do I would die but yeah I do think that it's still good to intervene in some way because I think that can also be sort of like a catalyst to get other people to intervene to stronger people hopefully so look into it I think there's guides on that I don't know I don't know don't ask me why how dare you ask me that's not my job all right I need to shut up so I'm gonna stop this um The racism, that is. I am going to stop racism. Thank you very much. Uh, No, I'm going to end this podcast with just the fact that I hope you're doing all right. Check in with yourself. Take the time to yourself that you need. If you yourself are an employer or a boss, do the thing where you check in with your employees who are just about it all. Especially if you have Asian American employees because they are going through it. And they might be keeping quiet at work and being a good employee and just like keeping it to themselves. But they're struggling with this emotionally. I gotta say, my workplace has been really nice about it. It's been really helpful. We had a Zoom where they, we just talked about it and a lot of my bosses were in it and a few other coworkers who were Asian-American. And it was hilarious because I happened to join and I was kind of like early or like some people were late. So I was like the only Asian in there for a hot sec. No, that's not true. There was one other lovely Asian-American woman. Um, but her camera was off, so I just, like, was not sure if she was actually there or not. So then I felt obligated, like, to speak on behalf of everybody, and I was like, um, thank you for holding this. I, uh, I feel okay. It was pretty funny, but anyway, do that. Make everybody awkward. It's fun. I was getting all hot and sweaty. Second, if you have Asian American friends, check in on them. They will appreciate it. It's not like you're gonna, you know, remind them that this is happening. They're thinking about it already, and... You bet your ass I'm keeping tabs on all of my white friends who have not reached out. <laughs> you bet I'm not going to tell them, but I'm pissed. I'm kidding, am I They won't be getting very nice things from me in the future. I'm kidding am i am I am I kidding? Do I have a grudge notebook? Do I <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. But, yeah, it is It is a fun thing just to check in, I think. You never, it never hurts, you know, if they go, what? I'm Asian? You think I'm Asian? <laughs> I honestly think some of my friends might be like, does Sierra know she's Asian? Should we bring this up to her? Maybe she thinks she's not. <clears throat> I'm kidding. They know I know. They know. So check in on them. And, yeah, take care of yourself. Again, I'll be proud for you. No need to be proud if you're worried about safety or comfiness and all that stuff, don't worry. I'm here fucking wearing my Asian clothing, being very proudly Asian American. So yeah, it's the start of something new, my friends. All right. I better wrap this up. Thank you again for listening. I have been Sierra Kato. Ever heard of her? And uh, this is Stay Positive.